coming up on Bridging the Gap. I mean, honestly speaking, it was brutal. You know, it wasn't easy. Not many people understood, you know, why we were doing what we were doing. There wasn't a market for applications that the gas this use case that we were basically doing you know some investors still you know had question marks on it and uh, it, it was just you know like questioning anything and everything right during, during that time welcome to bridging the gap a web-free podcast dedicated to uniting the perspectives of visionary founders and forward-thinking investors, covering the world of decentralized technology and discovering the stories, challenges, and breakthroughs responsible for defining the future of the internet. Bridging the Gap is created and hosted by the VTVL team, a web-free token distribution investing platform. Check us out at vtvl.io. Today we're talking to Ahmed Albilagi, co-founder of Biconomy. Backed by Coinbase Ventures, Mechanism Capital, and other leading VCs, Bicogni acts as the backbone of web-free infrastructure, empowering developers to build without limits and obfuscate complex web-free flows through an easy-to-use SDK. To date, Bicogni has integrated with over 200 dApps and brands, helping them process over 25 million gasless transactions for 2.8 million unique web-free users. Let's get right into the conversation. Hey, Ahmed, thanks so much for coming on Bridging the Gap. We're excited to have you today. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, doing quite well and uh, also quite excited. The first thing I kind of wanted to start off with is just to get to know a little bit more about you uh, and also how the idea for Biconomy came around when you first started building it alongside your other co-founders. Yeah, so... Um, on, so I've been in the crypto space for the past six years or so and um have um really yeah started off in china actually um when you know i i started studying and researching about the space um and uh yeah started as a blockchain researcher um with a local chinese company and um at least you know or, you know a couple of years later um you know i was at an investment company in dubai and um at least on the side i was always like doing different things, um, be it investments, advising. Um, and uh, I, I managed to sort of meet uh, Sachin, one of my uh, co-founders, uh, who's now, who's also our CTO. Um, and Eniket, our, uh, my other, other co-founder, I've known him for some time. We sort of came together to, to really just like work on something and hack on something. Uh, we initially started building out um, nodes um, just so that we really just understand like the build um and and what it takes sort of building web3 and uh and that that was a lot of fun right we kind of did that for a couple of months just to sort of really understand how 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 things go and from there we we asked ourselves all right we we built this sort of validator and this was in tezos right um back when uh dpos um was all the rage and we yeah uh, we asked ourselves all right security is here but where are the users and once um, we figured out that, you know, user adoption is still a um, big problem and that there weren't that many users in the space, I think in 2019 there was probably just a couple of thousand, if at most, right, um, that were active in Web3 um, using, uh, yeah, using um, products in Web3 back then. And so that, that's when we initially came up with the idea of, all right, you know, how can we actually build... Um, to enable um, easier access, easier um, 
you know, ways for um, users to onboard and to access Web3. Um, and so that that's really how we started. Yeah, I guess in the previous cycle, there wasn't too many users and there definitely wasn't as much in terms of infrastructure. So it's really cool to hear that Biconomy started off with just like solving some pain points in terms of adoption. And um, yeah, we'll definitely be talking about infrastructure today as well. But let's start off with fundraising first. I wanted to dive a bit more into how you guys raised. According to Crunchbase, you raised your seed towards the end of 2020. Um, what was your experience like raising in the bear market and were there any lessons learned during this process? Yeah, um, well, I mean, honestly speaking, it was brutal. Um, you know, it wasn't easy. Uh, I mean, not many people understood um, sort of, you know, why we were doing what we were doing. There wasn't a market for applications. Um, you know, the, the use case, the, the gasless use case that we were basically doing um you know didn't uh you know some investors still you know had question marks on it and uh it, it was just you know like questioning anything and everything right during, during that time and so that was i would say really the um you know how the fundraising process went and so it kind of really allowed us to like you know to to go out to you know people to to to, to really anyone right that would um, that would understand our proposition, our value add. Um, and it just allowed us to actually really understand the market properly and what investors um, wanted as well. Uh, but at the same time, it even just allowed us to prove to investors who initially said no, um, and they actually came back to, 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 to invest later on. And so I'd say, uh, uh, like, you know, what, what, I learned as well was, you know, as we built and as we sort of, you know, got some initial traction, um, you know, a lot of the people who said no actually came around and actually invested. Um, and so that, that was, I'd say, a big lesson was that it's okay if someone do impress them. For them, that's actually a good trait in a founder um, to, to back. And so that's actually happened to us at least, I'd say, three or four times um in terms of just investors right like three or four investors sorry that um who had said no came around and, and invested so that's like one um naturally you know if, if you don't build then if you don't have any proof in the pudding then um it's just going to be hard right and so um you know it's it goes without saying right in a bear market it's all it's always about um experimenting getting some traction and you know proving out you know what you know what's you know what whatever you're doing um is going to actually work and you know it adds value to um to that target customer yeah so i guess it sounds like a mix of trial and error banging your head against the wall but also having the confidence in in your product and what you're building and also what it actually solves for users uh, as a follow-up to that, when you were initially raising, did you have an existing relationship with investors or did you find them through cold outreach or other connections slash networks? Oh, it had to be. Um, so it was, it was a mix. It was, you know, some were um, existing uh, relationships, others were cold outreach. Um, and the majority was just introductions, was trying to get introductions to the right people. Um, 
and if that didn't work, then just, you know, hitting them up at a conference, right? And face-to-face interaction, at least back then, um, well, I mean, now now it's it's all good. Um, but, of course, you know, uh, I, you know we, we went to as many conferences as we could to interact with the different investors and to at least have some FaceTime. Um, some of them were, of course, introductions. Others were just sort of cold, you know, hi, this is what we do. Um, but yeah, it definitely wasn't easy because it, um, you know, that, that just sort of kickstarted a relationship, especially with someone new. Um, and that sometimes would take time to actually, um, to nurture. And so, yeah, so I'd say it was a mix to be honest, at least for, for, from our side. Makes sense. I guess face-to-face is always a good approach, especially when you're talking about raising from investors. Events and conferences have also been quite helpful for us, actually, to meet new investors as well. Uh, So definitely relate to that. As far as general advice uh, for any other founders that may be looking to raise in this bear market, whether it's a pre-seed or seed round, do you have any advice for any founders looking to raise right now? Yeah, good question. Um, what I would say, um, like the first thing I would say is um, really nail that pitch deck and the, the story because it really sort of, um, because, you know, a pitch deck will be, you know, um, you know, will be swelled around like investors do have um, their own channels, right, where, where they, they chat with each other and you know, someone will say, oh, what do you think of this? Or have you heard this, right? So um, any sort of documentation and deck, right, like it it really has to be nailed and that's really important. Um, And, you know, and and that will convey a story, right? Because there will be times where, you know, you won't be on a call or in a meeting where you could talk over the deck, right? The, The deck has to, in a way, do the speaking for itself. So that's, really important part um the second i would say is um keeping investors up to date um and you know just with you know with you know how the product is being built out any really big highs that you might have made or new joiners that are coming in um uh or any sort of traction as well because that in a way like in investors always appreciate um, you know, frequent updates from um, founders. Uh, it also allows them to sort of understand like how the market is going. So it's it's always a good, um, I'd say, it's it's a good way to nurture right relationship. Um, and uh, so so that that's I mean th- these two are definitely in the control of the founder, right? Um, the third is, and and this is a bit, um, you know, it 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 might depend on the market. It might depend on. Uh, you know, like what crypto Twitter might say as well. But um, of course, there are always new narratives in this market. Um, And if the founder could sometimes be a bit, let's say, uh, you know, if they could take advantage of that, right? If they could take advantage of that, so like whatever's going on in the market and whatever they're doing um, to to say like, to, to basically make their case, right? And I'm not saying if you're like a blockchain founder who's got nothing to do with AI to, to switch to AI, right? And 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 do a raise based off that. Um, but it's more in 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 crypto, there are always these different narratives um, that uh, do pop up, and you know a founder should take advantage, right, um, of 
of attaching themselves to that narrative if whatever they're building is is aligned to that um and a lot of these narratives actually get built during the bear market to be honest so um yeah keeping you know keeping up to um speed on that is is uh is very important and i would say the last thing is um any form of like clever clever growth hacking right um would be like really cool because um and and this could be in two parts right one the first part is um to see how you could um gain some form of let's say attention through like a nice um way of, like a nice ui or a nice gif of of a very re- like of a very interesting feature that many people might appreciate um like if that you know gets you know some traction on crypto twitter then people are going to look at it right and they would want to follow up with the person who created that um and the second is you know if if funding's a bit concerned it's just you know like see which ecosystems that you could um align yourself with so that you could you know um apply for grants and and get some form of funding right um although it's not a raise it's at least some form of capital so there are these different um uh you know I, yeah the i'd say these are sort of four um uh points that that i would raise for for anyone looking to raise at, at this moment yeah that makes sense thanks for sharing ahmed um so just switching gears slightly towards um your token raise or your ico that you did um where you raised upwards of 11 million Um can you share more about your experience of launching that token and any sort of pros and cons that you think founders should be considering about launching a token especially during the bear market these days? Yeah so w- when we did our token launch that was during the bull market and that is in no way shape or form um similar to if anyone were to do it during the bear market uh it's um yeah it was very different right we at least what what happened with us we uh you know as we had traction in our product and saw that there was a use case for the token um and how we could decentralize that's when we init- that's what that's how we started out our um uh token plans um this is around sort of 2021 um early 2021 and we were luckily a part of of the coinless family and um given their coinless seed program and um that allowed us to actually be um selected um to be uh, uh to be on on coinless for um uh the coinless sale and so um you know that that all happened in 2021 and i would say because of the the, the bull market and you know the plans that you know we had there was a lot of you know traction in in, in investors wanting to find exposure to to you know narratives themes and projects that actually had traction and um and had a use case in 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 their token and so um i'd say we we you know did fit that category uh, at that time um and of course given the the coinless side um that sort of helped us um you know uh get garner the attention of you know different investors and you know the retail community as well as exchanges that um wanted to to see like how they could list us right when the timing was right um so these things actually you know they weren't planned they kind of fell in place um you know as time went on during um during 
2021. Um, but what was really important to us, especially as we were, um, you know, getting listed on exchanges, is that our, like one of our core targets was to ensure that we were listed on every exchange or as many exchanges as possible, just so that there is a form of liquidity. And I, I'd say we, we did achieve that, which is great. And that was just, you know, a huge amount of, of, of lobbying and um, speaking with exchanges and uh, getting them to um, sort of to understand the project. But also, you know, it got to a stage where some of them were just listing our token without directly reaching out to us, which was, which was great. And of course, with the likes of folks like Binance, um, Coinbase and Hobie, like the larger ones that, you know, involved a lot of back and forth for, you know, for quite a couple of months before um we we knew we were getting listed or not so that was um interesting uh again whether or not someone or we could like even if it was us that we could replicate it in this market i don't think we can because the bear market is extremely different um risk appetite is lower and there's just a a lot um you know of uh conservative um i would say uh you know just a conservative approach that these exchanges would take um, it doesn't mean that there aren't tokens that are coming up um, that people are excited about. There are, but they're way fewer um, in number. And um, I, 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 yeah, I don't know whether that's because of hype or just generally whether the project has done a, a very good job in in its outreach, in its in its marketing, in its community, right? And that that's a different story. Thanks, Ahmed. Yeah, that was very insightful just because I feel not that many founders have actually had a chance to launch a token. So it's good to get some insights on that entire process and how it works, especially getting listed on bigger exchanges. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is based on something you've said before, which is that you're a fan of bear markets. Maybe you can elaborate a bit on this and also talk about some of the benefits you see for founders during a bear market. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, uh, thanks for that. That's a really, really good question. Um, I, I am a fan of bear markets solely because it's, um, it's where the actual work starts. <laughs> I, I feel, um, I, I have this, you know, I have an investor friend, um, and uh, I don't want to name him, <laughs> um, but during the bull market, um, you know, he, it's so to give a bit of background, he loves doing fundamental analysis and going deep. But he just, for him, during the bull market, it just doesn't make sense because nobody cares about that analysis and that research. And so it just goes out the window, whereas in the in the bear market, you know, he could actually go back to doing the, the fun stuff that he likes, which is the 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 fundamental analysis and all of that, right? And and it's it's kind of the same with building as well, right? Like it's, you know, building is, is harder during a bull because there are more expectations as... Um, many different directions that you could, um, f you know, fall in, right? And you don't want to do that as a startup, right? You want to be hyper-focused. Talent is extremely expensive and and uh, it's it's very easy. And we've done it many times where we've hired very expensive people and we've had to fire them, right? And it's um, very unfortunate because it's a waste of our time, their time. Um, but in a bear market, things are you know, you, you can actually build things, experiment things, more people are willing to listen and to collaborate. Um, and, you know, you, you would also find great talent in the market. So 
um, for a founder, it's great. Uh, a bull, I mean, look, a bull market is great for fundraising and being as, um, you know, if, if I were to go to a bull market next time, I wouldn't do any spending. I would just, you know, um, I wouldn't even do any hiring, I think. I, I don't know, right? I'm, this is just, don't, don't quote me on this, but as of now, like, it's, it, it just doesn't make sense because, um, you know, what's going to happen is it's, everything is cyclical, right, to, to a large degree. And so um, a bear market really, really allows, you know, um, founders and companies to, you know, focus and, and do the things that it needs to to propel itself to um, new levels of growth, right? And so that's what, um, you know, bear markets do. And, and this is where, you know, the next unicorns and, um, the, you know, the next narratives are defined. Yeah, I guess that's why they say bear markets are meant for building. Uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, but you also kind of indirectly answered my second question. Uh, maybe we can still dive a bit into it, though. Do you have any insights on what founders can do to prepare for a bull market once it actually comes, assuming that they're building in the current bear? Uh, how can they take advantage of the bull market when it eventually comes to fruition, hopefully? Um, and are there any strategies to do so? Hmm uh that's a good question so so let, let's think of the fundraising aspect right so on the fundraising aspect it's um you know it, it it's prime you know it's you know if if you can raise whenever a founder can raise they should raise um i i think that's just like um you know like founder one-on-one uh because it it kind of just injects new cash into the business new um investors as well um, and and what's good as well is that, uh, and and speaking on the investor side, there'll there'll be so many new types of investors coming out during a bull market, and it's very important for founders to like really d- dissect and and um, you know really be cautious about who are you know who they're letting into their cap table, be it equity or tokens, uh, right? And it goes without saying, right? Like. Those who are in for the, you know, quick buck, they will dump uh, any notice. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it is during the bear markets where you'll really see who, who are, you know, who are there for the long haul. And so that I believe is, is, is like a really important thing found is to really just not be um, derailed by the fact that no one is giving you money yesterday, but a lot of people are giving money tomorrow. Be very like cautious about that and, um, and uh, really be selective of, of who you allow in. Um, so I'd say that is one part. Another part is, um, you know, just ensuring that you're, you know, as, you know, as someone is preparing, I mean, you can't really prepare for a bull market because you don't know when it's going to be coming. Um, but at least doing as much as you can in terms of building the right culture, the right team, and the right mindset, right? So that, you know, whenever, you know, um, the market sort of comes back up again, um, it doesn't, it doesn't really derail the team and everyone still has their head screwed on and they're able to just find opportunities at least, right? And know that it's, it's, um, it's, it's like a different game. It's like a different game mode, right? Altogether. Um, and thinking about, okay, how can we, you know, use this to our advantage, right? And uh, that, and and that would require, you know, different, you know, 
that would require different strategies, different ways of engaging the 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 market as well. It will become also harder to you know um, to uh, I'd say like you know to be out there given that there will be a lot of noise and so that there will be a lot of like you know um a lot of thinking around how can you be unique how can you be different um in in that respect and yeah so i i would definitely say that you know at least when it comes to the fundraising the investor side and just focusing on team and culture are just really important um in in any preparation for a bull market yeah, I guess to some extent, it's just a matter of being prepared and just doing what you can to maximize the value from the bull market, whether that's raising, stacking up capital for your project or something else. Moving on to the next question, I wanted to ask you how the bear market has impacted by economy. And if it has, what effects has it had on your company? So um, we did more transactions in 2022 than we did in 2021 which is really cool um and it's it's great to see that there are there were builders um and you know at least some form of you know growth that um in in 2022 compared to uh 2021 um what i would say is that the impact um was is of course right like you know when it comes to applications um and like at least lead generation for newer applications um is of course different to to before um another aspect of where it had impacted us i would say um at least in a good way i would say it's it's allowed us to you know um look for better hires right like in the sense that we we've been trying to hire some people for a long time. We couldn't find them, but once the bear market hit, we found them, right? Um, but in terms of any negative impacts, um, well, of course, the token price did take a beating. Um, uh, but other than that, I would say, you know, it's it's mainly been, you know, on on just like, you know, lead generation and, and the token price. Can you speak more about how the lead generation was different? So... It's different because, um, so there are two parts, right? You have projects that want to integrate, um, but for them, their, you know, their main thing is we need to, um, you know, we, we, we need to uh, fundraise or we need to develop this feature because we think it will attract X, Y, and Z investor or this community or whatever it is, right? And so... Um, so what that basically would mean is, you, you know, um, when it comes to timelines, um, timelines might not exactly match. Um, and so that, you know, would just be an application that would come in later down the line. Right. So that that's one part. And of course, the second part is um, the fact that, you know, there are a lot of companies that have just, um, you know, they've just stopped. Right. I mean, there's there's not enough uh runway they've you know they couldn't raise um and so that does impact uh what um you know it does impact of course right any form of deal sourcing or, or lead generation but I, I i would say i am surprised that um it didn't impact it that much right like there are still lots of projects still going and still surviving and and 
and you know some are thriving in in different ways right and so that that's really interesting to see like it's very different to the last bear market awesome yeah actually that's a perfect segue since i wanted to get your thoughts on the differences between the current bear market and the 2018 bear market obviously things are slightly different but just because you mentioned it i wanted to ask you and get your thoughts on it yeah um there there is way more money in this one um there are there is there are way more builders um there are there is way more um you know opportunities as well uh like i'd say building in this bear actually yeah, I say building in this bear is way better than the previous one. It's just that in the previous bear, it was it's probably easier to get to know people, right? Um, or to in a way showcase yourself because there was like just less people in the space, right? Most of the people had been flushed out after the ICO crash, but um, this time around, even after everything that happened, you still have quite a few people around. There are so many new people like it's, um, I mean, like, you know, like you guys, right? Like you guys were not here during the, you know, the, the bear market of, you know, of, um, of 2018. Um, you know, you, you guys in a way came to crypto, like maybe what a year and a half ago, two years ago as a company. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, that wasn't the case, um, in, in 2018. So there's, definitely way more people um and you you definitely see um the uh like because in in 2018 like there weren't that many sort of solid narratives that people could form around whereas now you have the metaverse segment the gaming segment um DeFi, you have the institutional side um and i'd say you know the difference with this bear market is that you know we are here now after you know, maybe like how many institutions that have actually done stuff on chain, right? In 2018, that wasn't the case as well. So there's so many, like it's it's very different. Um, but of course, fundraising landscape still stays the same, but there is there is more money here. They're just naturally conservative and they'll be greedy once a bull market comes back, um, given how, you know, um, greedy we are as humans. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that I'd say those are differences. Yeah, makes sense. And I relate to it as well, since I was around in 2018 and 2019. And it was definitely a lot different than it is now. So it's good that there's progress in that sense as well. Uh, earlier, you talked about launching your token during the bull market. One thing that I wanted to ask you about is for founders that are in a similar position where they may have launched a token in 2020 or 2021, what strategies should they implement to appease token holders when sentiment is so low uh, during this current market? Or is it just better to put your head down and continue working on the product? Uh, I'm curious to get some insights into how you guys are thinking about your own token and if you're implementing any strategies to maintain the sentiment among holders, whether that's your Biconomy DAO, staking, or uh, any other features of the token that you might be working on. Yeah, um, that's really, yes, that's that's a good question. Um, so, of course, A, focusing on product and just ensuring that, that um, the focus is there is, is the main thing. So that goes without saying. The second is um, just ensuring and keeping tabs right on customers, um, sorry, on, on investors and 
um, them not, uh, you know, dumping and that they're actually holding. Um, so that that's another thing. And, and it's just, you know, it's, and it's not easy, right? Because a lot of investors are in the red. And if you don't have the right investors, a lot of them will be in the red. Um, the right investors are naturally long-term. And so even if they're in the red, they wouldn't need to sell because that's just, they, they understand that's, you know, the game. Um, and so just doing some form of investor relations there is important. Um, if you have a token, it also means you'll naturally have a, a community. And a community is, um, uh, yeah, I actually forgot to mention about the community, right? Like in, in the previous question that, that you asked. But yeah, anyways, like definitely being more focused on the community during um, the bear market is important because it's easier to form a, a real community where um, those people who've just come in for an airdrop or for, you know, just freebies, right? Um, they're, they're not there anymore, right? Like the people who stick around, you know, Discord and your Twitter, they are the real folks who are actually following the project and how can you establish deeper ties, right? And so that becomes um, like very critical. Like even for us this year, year of 2023 for us at Bioeconomy is how can we just, you know, do more things for the community? Um, and be way more community driven. So, uh, yeah, that that's what I would um, say really for um, for projects that uh, you know have a token. Um, and I'd say the last thing is just seeing how much the token itself, you know, is serving the utility that it was created for. And if if it didn't have a utility when it was launched, how are we, you know, how are we or you, you know, working towards? Um, you know, having utility for the token, right? Because um, it doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take, you know, um, you know, a huge amount um, of time. Like it's a, it's a very slow process. And so it's something that every founder should think about um, very, uh, you know, they, they, yeah, they have to think about it. Like once they have a token out there, it's part and parcel of, of, um, uh you know of of the company and so it's uh yeah and and so it's i i would also say like just to add to that the depending like i would also say the regulation as well like regulation uh, as years go by sometimes regulation will um be clearer and we're seeing that naturally um, and it's something that I'm doing as well, just not making sure that we are aware of regulation and ensuring that, you know, whatever our token is, you know, being used for and where we are set up, um, we are at least, you know, um, uh, you know, we are abiding by whatever regulation um, that that we're, we're in, in the jurisdiction that we're set up in. So that that's, you know, a final comment I'd say on that. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I think some of the themes that are emerging from what we've discussed today um, include community, like you said, regulation, security in a sense. Um, I know I know for Bioeconomy, you guys really value security and you've worked with like upwards of five different auditors. Everything that Bioeconomy builds seems to have at least one professional audit and one community mm. audit. Can you elaborate a bit on why community is quite important on the audit and security side of things for you guys? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, critical because instead of having two people 
in a um, in an audit firm that overlooks your co- code, you know, in a community driven um, audit process, you have 10x that, right, or even more. And so you just have different developers, different um, builders who, you know, who've got different experiences. And then when they look at, um, you know, these contracts, they will pick out, you know, different things that um, an audit team of two didn't, you know, um, they didn't catch, right? And so it's, uh, you know, I, I definitely think we'll be, you know, going down that model more and more um, in the years to come because, you know, smart contract development is extremely different to any form of product development, right? You can't really iterate on smart contract development because it's, you know, especially when you're doing anything related to funds and finance and it, you know, it becomes, um, it just becomes chaotic, right? And so it's very important to, um, uh, to, to just like put security up there um, and ensure that there are, you know, at least, you know, two audits, right? One of them being community um, for, for anything that you build, because it, it kind of showcases that, you know, to your community, like, you know, token holders or to your investors and to your team that you do care for security and that you're not just, um, you know, making things up as you go. Now, there's a difference between this and also, you know, there are projects that I've seen as well that naturally go out and say, hey, this is unaudited, use at your own risk, we are experimenting. And that's totally fine as well. It basically means they're early and they're experimenting and they probably have users that they're, you know, happy to, you know, they're happy to use a product um, at, you know, their own will. And of course, that's a very different thing, but I just wanted to point that out because that also happens and and it's fair it happens given the risk warnings are there. Yeah, community audits are quite interesting and they're also something we've been implementing into our audit stack when uh, launching new contracts. Uh, so yeah, definitely quite interesting. I think while we're still on the community topic, on a slightly more unrelated note, I wanted to dive into the community in the sense of actual users for your platform. Obviously, Biconomy's user base is primarily developers and builders. So I'm curious how you guys began acquiring these users for your platform and SDK and what strategies you use to find and onboard these users when your product was still early and didn't have as much traction as it has now. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, So, you know, there are a couple of things. Um, You know, one is um, I, I like to call it like just showing the outcome, like how could you essentially show the outcome of, of whatever you're, um, whatever you're selling, right? And the outcome is always the most important thing, especially for middleware like us, because um, middleware solutions like us, we're more in the background. We don't really have a big UI element and it's rethinking, okay, how would um, this look like? Um, and how can we imagine it within um within like a this ui framework right and then just like pushing that out and showing it to people and saying hey this is possible this could also happen in your application it kind of does um help a lot that's one part the other part is hackathons hackathons i'd say are probably the best um useful founders to go out to test their products and to um to really get people building on it and to also just use it right because you get a ton of feedback um, 
and a ton of suggestions on what you can improve, what you could do to, um, uh, to, to, uh, to even distribute it as well. And so um, hackathons is, is another way. And the third is of, you know, is of course, right, just ensuring that you have a great, you know, BD team. Um, it goes without saying, like, the founders and actually doing BD, but just having people who are able to understand the space, navigate the space, um, uh, you know, like, it, I always go, I always say that the best tech doesn't really always win, right? And that's because um, tradition, like, it's it's always going to be, you know, a mix of, minimum viable tech that does the job with great salespeople. And so, um, yeah, and that, that's something we've, you know, um, and I, I've, you know, I was an advisor to Polygon. I've seen Polygon's um, success just behind the scenes, not really in the action, but just on the periphery, given, um, you know, we're, we're close to Sandeep and the team. And, uh yeah, it's you know it's the 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 BT the BD team and the way they they hustle is, um, is is extremely you know um, I'd say just it's extremely like fortunate to see right because it's it kind of goes to to show that uh, you know like you do need to shout out you know from the rooftops about what you're building and what you're doing um, to get people to to really care right and so. That that is also another strategy that we're we we're, we're doing as well. Yeah, I think as far as BD goes in Web three, it's quite important. I personally know some BD guys that are crazy good at what they do, and they offer a lot of value for the projects they're working on. Uh, but moving on to infrastructure, another question I had in terms of Biconomy is that you've mentioned Biconomy's goal is to make Web3 more accessible to users through building infrastructure that allows developers to do their job and build better products that are more accessible to users, whether that's using gasless transactions, transaction batching, Web2 logons, or something else. What do you think the current missing pieces are in terms of infrastructure that still needs to be built out in order for us to reach the next billion users? Uh, and so in other words, what should people be building in this bear market to help with that goal? Uh, there are some projects that I'm you know, seeing that are being built out in the identity space. Um, I think identity is one of the biggest um, you know, blockers, uh, you know, we, we, we worked with a bank, you know, last year as well, and they're, they're looking heavily looking to identity, right? And it kind of goes to show because, you know, how could you do transactions or do things, you know, if we kind of don't know who that person is, right? So that's number one. Um, and, and to be honest, identity, the issue with identity is that it's not a, a technical problem. It's more of a sociological problem and, uh, and a, you know, and I would say like a cooperation problem as well, right? Like, which standard do you use? Um, which, you know, identity, like, you know, like how is someone going to, you know, um, go out and say this is my identity because I use this software from this startup, right? Like it's, it's, it's like even in Web2, it's still not solved. And I'm not sure how Web3 will solve it. Um, at least in the coordination and cooperation front, right? Like the tech is great. The tech makes a lot of sense. It's just, um, I, it, it's going to be very difficult to see how um, identity will be solved. Um, so it, I'm not saying like for, for people don't go out and solve it. It's just, uh, 
it's a very very difficult problem to solve um and then the, of course there's privacy right privacy is um a uh you know it's it's something that i believe will um enable way more institutional adoption if we have privacy because they don't want to do things where things are on chain right and um but this will be interesting because you know we have regulation saying we don't want coins like monero and all these others right to um to exist because they are private by default but um we also need privacy at the chain level right and so if institutions have to use that then i i i'm curious about how you know that will impact regulation as well um but it will be a really important for any form of um adoption in the future um the third is is scaling and of course this is already being um this is already being tackled and this is already you know um being worked on by numerous projects um so yeah so so that's great to see and of course right um what what we're doing with the UX front uh because you know right now web3 projects are launching um and maybe competing with their web2 counterparts but their biggest um you know the biggest barrier for them to get you know any form of success is the fact that they are competing with the terrible ux right <laughs> and so you know we come in to to level that playing field and just enable a you know a proper ux standard in web3 yeah i think as far as identity goes it's definitely an important one but a hard one to solve at that for privacy as you said it it is a bit like a catch 22 just because people want privacy but as far as regulation goes that's still a little bit unclear um, but one of the final questions I wanted to ask you about is whether or not you think Web3 is a winner-takes-all market. Is there room for multiple projects solving similar problems to coexist? Or do you think eventually the project that does it better will end up being the only one that survives in the long term? Yeah, that's a very good question. I'm, um, I'm in two minds about this, right? Because we have seen sort of this power law distribution, right? Um, and you know, in, in just traditional tech. Um, and I, I do feel the market is big enough, but over time there will be consolidation. So that, that's my take. Yeah. To some extent with how many projects are launching within the same space, eventual consolidation could make sense, but at the same time, it also seems like the market will still be big enough to accommodate at least a few players building within the same niche. But yeah, thank you so much, Ahmed, for coming on. I just have one final question for you. This is a question we're stealing from the Up Only podcast, where we ask everyone we bring on to share one piece of advice based on their experiences. Do you have any tips or tricks or something you've learned that you'd like to share? There are many. <laughs> I'm just trying to find the, the best one. Um, I mean, I, I would say uh, it all comes down to people. Right. And, uh, you know, people in your team, uh, the people in your community, the people in, you know, your in your network, it, it all comes down to people. And uh, it's it's very important that you always have the right people with you, um, because once you have all the right people with you, everything will be solved. I love that. I think that's a great way to end it off, actually. Uh, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate your time and it was a great conversation. Awesome. Thanks a lot. I really appreciated um, the conversation. Thanks a lot.
Thank Bye. you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bridging the Gap. If you enjoyed, be sure to leave a rating and follow us. You can check us out at vtvl.io. Ahmed and the VTVL socials will also be available in the podcast description.